Okay. Well, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you know we began a study on uh, the, the case for creation, right? And we've talked a good bit about that. Uh, and of course, today in the world, and I, and I want to I stress that, you know, I think about that a lot, especially when we were studying John, I, I began to think a lot about how we are not of the world, right? We are, we are a sanctified group of people. We've been set apart for a purpose, for the work, work of God. We're, not in, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And the world thinks differently, don't they? People of the world love, to, someone love it, you know, is tolerant, is, is, well, you just fellowship one, that's not loving. But they don't see it from the viewpoint of the kingdom, do they? They don't see it from the viewpoint of heaven, from the viewpoint of eternity. And so when we're, make, when we're talking things in this, in this class particularly, and in, in any study really, we need to think of it that way. We understand that we are not of the world. We are studying the word that's coming from heaven, that coming from the God, that sitting in his kingdom, Jesus reigning, sitting at the right hand of God, reigning in his kingdom now. That's occurring now. It's not a future thing. It's not something that we look forward to. We're part of it now. And you've been set apart. Elizabeth just baptized her. She's now been sanctified. She's part of the kingdom of heaven. She's a citizen, a child of God. She's not of the world anymore. Sure, she has to be in the world, just like the rest of us. But we're not of the world. That doesn't make us special. That doesn't make us elite. That doesn't make us any better than anybody else. But we're saved. And we're not of the world anymore. And we have to think that way. When you start thinking about things of the world and what's true in the world you kind of start getting away from that kingdom don't you can't have it both ways can you You can't have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom you got to be all in right you got to be all in and that's kind of what we're looking at here with this creation study right we get so much in the world now about how oh evolutional theory and science has all these things that they claim are facts you know and and really they're not, but we're inundated with that in our schools, in our lives, and on, on, in, in the news, on the internet. And so we have to study these things. We have to understand to make that defense, right? To make that defense of our faith when someone tells us something that we know is of the world, not of the kingdom. We began this study looking at a couple of basic questions, right? Questions that we've asked ourselves, I hope, if you, unless you've been under a rock for all your life. I'm sure at some point you said, well, how did this all begin? Where did we all come from? How did this happen? And you may have studied in some of your science classes, I know Dana kind of has alluded to this before, is, is, is what we're made up of, is matter, is things that we're made up always been here? Or was it created? Is matter eternal? and just changes by natural process? Or is it something that was created at some point and will end at some point? Interesting questions we have. And we looked at some things, we considered some uh, questions about that. We looked, of course, first week, the biblical case for creation. And we looked at bunches of verses that says what? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
And that's supported by the prophets, that's supported by the lawgiver Moses, that's supported by the apostles in their writings over and over and over. If you're going to read the Bible, that's the one thing, if nothing else, you're going to get out of it is God created the universe, right? Very plain. Then we looked at some philosophical cases for that last week, right? How certain things, if you think about it, just because they exist, point to an intelligent design, point to a creator, point to some supreme being creating this universe. Philosophical arguments, and we did look a little bit of a scientific case as well. We, we, we looked at things that said, you know, based on, based on the evidence of intelligent design argues that the evidence of design points to a creator, right? We can see things that look like someone had to make it. We talked about how you look at a watch, right? And you think, well, how did that get here? Well, obviously somebody was pretty smart and somebody knew how to make a watch and make it work right, right? Now, that, that clock up there is a little bit slow. So that one wasn't made so well. My watch is right on time. I checked it this morning by the national, whatever you call it. All right. But there, yeah, humans aren't perfect, right? But humans, a watchmaker, somebody that knew how to craft this thing to the precise time it needs to be and keep that time going constantly. There was some intelligence there. All right. I don't know how to do that. Somebody knew how to do that and, and was able to create that. So there's things we can just see in nature, see in the universe, that suggest there had to be something with intelligence to cause that to come into being. I'm going to talk today about the scientific case for creation. We're not going to look in the scripture so much. We'll look at a few scriptures, but we're going to talk about some things in nature or in the universe that we can see that suggest design, an intelligent creator, someone had to create this. It didn't just happen. Uh, in your outline, he, Brother Copeland references a, a book by Lee Strobel called The Case for a Creator, and he kind of references a few things in there. And you, you can look at that if you want. I'm going to go through that a little bit. And, of course, beginning, at the beginning of it, he's talking about the evidence we have from cosmology, the universe, right? The scientific discoveries in the past whole 50 years, and this is a little old, so more than that, confirm that the universe had a beginning. Most scientists now will say that the universe started with the Big Bang. Of course, you, you had the TV show, Big Bang Theory, right? It exploded into existence, right? Now, there's been arguments to say, well, that, that's evolutionary or whatever. But if you think about it, it had a beginning, right? There was a beginning. And so simply seeing that, you think, well, how did that happen? Where did that come from? Did that just happen naturally? And then they've looked at the universe and they can see that it's still expanding. That you can measure things in the universe. Stars are moving away from each other. Things are going outward. And so that suggests that there was a beginning and it's still moving away. It's still going out. That suggests a beginning, possibly an end eventually, right? Now some of you guys in here know that stuff better than me. You say, well, I know we have a NASA guy over here who could tell you all about that. But that's a fact. They can prove that mathematically and by observing, observing things in, in uh, space. So the universe is expanding outward, and that suggests a beginning. 
Thus, every indication is the universe began at some point. There was some time when it began. And as I said, many scientists subscribe to the Big Bang Theory that at some time it exploded into existence. And almost everyone believes that the universe and time itself had a beginning now. <coughs> but no one's been able to explain how that happened, why that happened, who did it, how did it all begin. Some have speculated that there might be multiple universes constantly being created into infinity, right? We don't have any evidence of that, but that's what they're saying. Yes, sir. Very good point. You just made a great case. You just made a great defense of the, of the argument for creator, intelligent design. Great point, Brennan. Um, and, and actually, that's a great segue into what we're going to be talking about here. Both, now, both scientists and Christians, as he's, he's stating there, there had to be something that created it. But we don't know other than what we've had revealed to us through the Word, and that's through our faith, right? We, we have to have a certain amount of faith. But scientists do too, because they don't know either. So there is a certain amount of faith that has to be accepted by a scientist to say this is, this is the way it was done. So, <clears throat> we can look at the universe. We can look at things in the universe, the awesomeness of it. I mean, have you ever gone out and you can't see it in the city for much. I, I wish I could because there's too much light around. But have you ever gone up in the mountains and sat up at night and looked up at the Milky Way? Does anybody, have you ever actually seen the Milky Way? Yeah. You know, if you look up outside your house, you, you might see, you know, Orion's belt and Polaris and Cup, the North Star, whatever, you know, and the moon. But if you go up in the mountains and you look up in the sky, all of a sudden there's millions of stars up there. And you think, where do all those come from? You know, because you can't see them here in the city. But it's awesome. It's an awesome thing. Have you ever gone out during a meteor shower and watched it? You know, I, I do silly things. I stay up sometimes till 2 in the morning to, to watch a media shower. I just think that's the coolest thing. One year I did that at Christmas. It's December. It's the Gemini media shower. It comes around every, every uh, December. And I, I didn't have to work the next day, so I said, I'm going to go out on my driveway. And I got my sleeping bag laid down on it. It was about 20 degrees. I wrapped up, and I watched those meteors flying across the sky. It was awesome. All you got to do is look up to see things like that, and you think, there had to be somebody that created this. How could this have happened just by chance, right? Well, we can look at other things. The universe is plenty, right? We can see that and say, how in the world can anybody not see that there's a God? But we can also look at other things. Uh, and, and, and to go along with that, the universe 
is not only awesome, but it's finely tuned, right? It's so finely tuned, in fact, that there are uh, more than, uh, and this is in your outline, so you'll have it, more than 30 separate parameters that require precise calibration to produce a planet that can sustain life, right? We've, we're sending probes to Mars now, but Mars cannot sustain life. It doesn't have the makeup of the Earth. But if you changed just a little bit of those laws of nature, just a tiny bit, then you're in chaos. The Earth can no longer sustain life. I'm just going to read some of these from your outline here. We'll look at this. It says, <coughs> um, it's hard to resist the impression that... Uh, well, if we, if we nudge one of these constants just a few percent in one direction, stars will burn out within a million years of the formation, and there's no, there is no time for evolution. Now, you can make a case for that, right? If nudged at a few percent in the other direction, there are no elements heavier than helium. Now, if you're a scientist, you understand the different elements, right, you've got to have in the world to sustain life. But you couldn't live on helium, right? You've got to have oxygen. No carbon would be existing. We're made up of carbon. No life, not even chemistry, no complexity at all. And so the really amazing thing about is not that life on Earth is balanced on a knife edge, but that the entire universe is balanced on a knife edge and would be in total chaos if any of the constants that we see in the universe were even off just a bit. Fine-tuning is so pronounced, many scientists have come to espouse it as the anthropic principle. What is the anthropic principle? that the universe was created for man. Wow, imagine that thought. Imagine a thought like that, that this was all created for man. Well, in the world, you might think that's ridiculous. But as Christians, it's not. Because that's what the Bible says. The universe was created for man. That's exactly why it was created. God did it. And he created man. This suggests that there is a God. The fine-tuning of the physical laws and, and contents of the universe and precise communications in, in its initial condition suggests the need for a cause that's intelligent. It's hard to resist the impression that the present structure of the universe, apparently so sensitive to minor alterations, has not been rather carefully thought out and planned. The seemingly miraculous occurrence of these numerical values must remain the most compelling evidence for cosmic design. It's quite easy to understand why so many scientists have changed their minds in the past, this is 30 years, more than that, and it suggests there is a intelligent designer. It was not just a cosmic accident. The evidence for intelligent design in physics and astronomy is overwhelming. Yet, what gets taught in our schools? No God, it's evolution. It happened naturally. Hmm, interesting. Well, we can look at other things besides the universe, right? Besides the cosmos and things in our nature. In fact, we can look at the smallest things in our universe, right? The molecular, at the molecular level. Um, I don't look at cells. I, I'm, I don't have a, what is it, a, what do you call the microscope? Electroscope, whatever you call it, I can't remember now, I used to know. That they can actually see cells and bacteria at that level, right? And when you look at that, you think, well, 
the cells are so small, they gotta be really simple, right? They gotta be really simple things. In fact, an evolutionist, that's part of the process, right? Their conventional wisdom is that complex things are complex come from simpler things, okay? And the things evolved from one microorganism billions of years ago. That's the theory, okay? Out of that one simple thing, we have very complex things today, human body, the universe, all the things that we see in our lives today. But actually, when you look at the simple cell, and you're able to get down to it and see the makeup of it, it is not simple. It's very complex. In fact, it's a very complex machine. You see, scientists have always underestimated the cell and the smaller things, thinking, well, they're not going to be much to them, but they're actually very great machines, such as, and this is in your outline, but bacterial flagellum. I've seen a picture of this. I've never seen it in real, but it's a, it's a bacteria that you can see at the micro, micro level. In fact, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's on the order of a couple of microns, which is one twenty thousandth of an inch. That's how small it is. The flagellum the uh, has a propeller on it. All right? If you actually could see it under a microscope, it has a propeller on it. And that propeller itself may be one one hundred thousandths of an inch. And yet that propeller, which has been viewed, can, be, can spin at 10,000 RPMs. 10,000 revolutions per minute. All right? And that can stop spinning within a quarter of a turn and instantly start spinning the other way at 10,000 RPMs. <clears throat> Perhaps the most efficient machine you've ever seen in the universe, right? Now, is that complex? Does that seem simple to you? Could something that complex at that scale have just happened naturally? Such complexity at that level cannot be explained by the theory of evolution. And it implicates an intelligent design. If creation was a, if, this is interesting, if the creation of a simple device like a mousetrap, take a mousetrap, you look at a mousetrap, <clears throat> and you say, okay, well, I, I can see how that was made, right? But maybe you never seen one before, so you didn't know how to do it before. It took somebody with little smarts to plan it out and create it, right? And you have a little spring, you got the little flap, put a little hook over here, you put it on the hook, put some cheese in there, and all of a sudden you're sitting there, you're laying there in bed one night at 2 a.m., and all you just, ha! <clears throat> Wakes you up, say, who's in the house? And you say, oh, that, I got a mouse. All right? When I was in college, I lived in a house where you could hear them crawling around the walls at night. That was always fun. And then one of the guys in my, my uh, I live in the side of a duplex, got a bunch of mouse traps to put around, and then you'd hear them pop all night, and he'd, be, he'd wake up, sir. Yeah, they got another one. Yeah, I know. Stupid stuff you do in college. But it took some design. It took that. And he wasn't the smartest dude in the world, but he, he was smart enough to know how to work a mousetrap, right? It took some design to do that. So when you look at machines, organisms, a watch, you know that somebody was behind creating that. It didn't just happen naturally. That just doesn't happen in the universe, in the world. In fact, think of your garden. 
if you don't tend to the garden, what happens to it? It deteriorates. You know, it goes to looking nasty. You got to keep it up. Things just don't happen like that. I know that's not necessarily the same argument, but it's a good example. So, <clears throat> if evolution cannot adequately explain these things, you got to consider the alternative, right? You got to consider that perhaps there was a creator. Perhaps there was an intelligent being that designed all this. Just the complexity of the cell gives you that idea, right? And of course, 100, 200 years ago, nobody knew what cells were. That's a recent discovery in science, obviously. We now can see how we're made up, what makes up our bodies, what makes up matter, right? The form that we have, what causes these things to happen. But we still don't know how this was all created by just thinking about it, right? <clears throat> Think about, and this is something I know you've heard about a lot in the last year or two, right? Is the makeup of your cell, the DNA, the makeup of you, right? I know you've heard it. If you've been watching the news at all, and every night it's COVID, COVID, COVID if you're watching the news, you hear constantly things about DNA, RNA, the vaccines, right? And you don't really understand all that unless you're a scientist. But DNA is what is often compared as this, the set of blueprints or the code that makes us up, that determines how we're going to appear, that determines whether... We're going to have red hair or blonde hair or dark skin, light skin, whatever it is, that's what makes it up. Contains the instructions needed to construct other cells as well. That DNA resides in the nucleus of the cell at that level. <clears throat> and it consists of several strands of, uh, I can't remember all the terms, it's, you know, the sugars, nucleotides and peptides or whatever, I don't know, not peptides, that's... That's for heartburn. <laughs> and then it has something else called RNA. RNA molecules that are kind of, you can unzip that DNA and it creates a strand of RNA or and what's called a messenger RNA which can tell other cells things like how to, how to duplicate themselves, how to have proteins, certain proteins. Okay, getting a little technical here but since it's kind of present in our minds. I want to see if I can explain this a bit. Many of you have had a vaccine, right? I had the Pfizer vaccine. Some of you may have had the Moderna and others. For years and years, when you got a vaccine, do you know what that vaccine put into your body, basically? Uh, I went on mission trip a few years ago. I had to get a typhoid. Was it a, I had to get a malaria shot, a typhoid shot, and something else. I can't remember. But basically what those things were doing was putting a dead virus into my body. And you think about that, why would I want a dead virus in my body? Flu shot does the same thing. It causes your cells, your immune system, to start creating a defense for that. That can't make you sick, or supposedly can't make you sick, although some people seem to get sick, <clears throat> from that dead virus. But your body still makes up the T cells and the and the other cells to fight that. So then if you go somewhere where there is a live virus and you contract that virus, your immune system will attack it and defeat it before you can become sick, right? 
And of course, you might end up getting a little sick, a little fever. That can happen because you got uh, T cells fighting something, so it does cause you to get a little hot. Things like that can happen. <clears throat> but these vaccines we got this time, they're not exactly like that. You see, science has advanced so far that you can read the actual code of the DNA. And you scientists, correct me if I'm saying something wrong, all right? And so by doing that, they are able to take that code and transfer it into what's called a messenger RNA. And take that RNA gets put into your shoulder, all right? And it causes your cells to create what's called a spike protein, all right? And that protein mimics the virus. So you're not actually given a dead virus. Some of you probably thought you got a dead virus in your body if you got a Moderna or Pfizer shot. That's not true. You were given messenger RNA into your body that mimicked, that caused your cells to create a spike protein that mimicked the virus, and therefore your T cells, your immune system starts building immunity to that. So you don't actually have a dead virus in your body. That's how far we've come technically in science and so forth. <coughs> point being, do you think messenger RNA that moves around and creates cells just happens naturally? I mean, sure, it does in the universe now, but what started all that? Who thought that up? I can hardly explain it. I'm trying to remember, I had to study this yesterday, go over it. I can remember some of it from you know, my high school biology class or a college biology class, but I'm not a biologist. I can't explain that stuff. How in the world could you say that could just happen naturally? Any organism has cells. Any organism has DNA in those cells. Just like a software program. I'm a programmer. I write a lot of code. All right? I have to think logically. If this is such and such, then this is such and such. I think like that all the time when I'm writing code. You have to. Because the computer can't think. I know people tell you that artificial intelligence and all that stuff, it can think. Sure can do that, but that's because somebody coded it to do that. can't think on its own. you got to think logically. And how do I think logically? By my experience. By what I've observed in the universe. By truths that I know, either because I've been told and I've tested it, or because my experience, I've experienced it. Same thing in programming. I know things happen because I've experienced it or I've tested it. We can't know things other than that, right? We can't know the truth of things unless we do that, including the Word of God. We hear the truth. We can experience things. We can test it and say, yeah, that's true. And there are things we have to take on faith, though, and one of those is how did the universe come into existence? How did the cells get created? How did DNA come about? How did all that get designed? Some have said that the DNA contains more information in it, more code, than you could read in Encyclopedia Britannica, right? Now, I know some of you younger folks probably don't even know what that is. The rest of us kind of do. You just have a salesman come to your door and try to say some encyclopedias. And then your mom and dad, well, yeah, I need those because my kids are in school, so they need encyclopedias in the house to study, so we'd buy them. And then about two months later, they would arrive, and they're already 10 years out of date. Right? I mean, it was cool, though, because it's pretty cool stuff in there. I, I Believe it or not, I would read through them. Usually it was about stuff about sports, but I would read through them. Everyone started reading something, you know. Nothing was on TV or 
weren't playing ball or something. But the DNA has more information or more code and all that, and yet the world says that all came into existence naturally. Now think about that for a minute. Suppose we were to receive something from outer space, all right? Supply, not DNA, but something that was so magnificent that we knew, and we knew it came from some alien life form. What would we say about it? That it was occurring naturally in the universe? No. We would be amazed that there's an alien life form out there that created this. But then if you look at something in nature, something that occurs in our lives naturally, at the molecular level, the DNA in our cells, and say, well, this has just always been there. It's always been some natural thing that happened. And deny that there's a creator. Does that make any sense? <clears throat> this implicates intelligent design. Whenever you find a sequential arrangement that's complex and corresponds to any pattern or functional arrangement, what else can it be? There had to be something behind that that was intelligent. The origin information in DNA that's necessary for life to begin is best explained by an intelligent uh, cause rather than simply being occurring naturally. Um, and as you can see in your outline, there are more and more scientists today, I think Dana even alluded to this the other day, that would agree with that. Evolutionary theory, and it is a theory, and I know some of you guys are probably taught about it in school, uh, some of the younger folks. <clears throat> and let me explain that for a second, because you might have heard somebody say, well, it's a fact, or whatever, an evolutionist. In in biology, in, in, within a class of species, all right? In other words, humans or horses or dogs, you're going to see things change, all right? That's going to happen simply by the process of breeding and, and you know, things change in, in appearance. Uh, you might have read about the beaks of birds being changed over time, right? That, that is a process of natural selection. That's true. What you don't see is a crossover from one kind to another. All right? Look at Genesis 1. Let's read a couple of verses from there. Genesis 1, verse 24. This is dealing with the creation. And it says, Then God said, Let the earth bring forth a living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth, and according to each according to its kind, and it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So, <clears throat> what point is, within a kind, a class, you don't see crossover. It just doesn't happen. I've heard it used an example, and I'm not sure this is the best example, but how many of you have ever had a mule? Or maybe somebody has a mule now, right? Okay. How do you get a mule? Crossbreeding a male donkey with a mare, a female horse, right? Some have said a mule has no gender. I, I'm not exactly sure that's true. But did you know you can't get another mule by breeding two mules? It can't happen. It has to do with their genetic makeup. 
Mules have a separate, a different set of chromosomes than a horse or a donkey. When they are born, they're different than their mom and their dad, genetically. A mule, I, I, when I studied up on this a little bit, mules can breed with a donkey or a horse and produce an offspring. I, I understand that to be true, but not a mule to a mule. Now, I've heard it said, I actually heard a lesson on this, I remember a few years ago. It blew me away because I had not thought about it. That's the end of the kind. That's the end of that class of animal. You can't go any farther. Now, I, I can't say that's necessarily true. I, I, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a geneticist. But the point being is evolutionists have never proved that a frog evolved into a horse. They never proved it. It's just a theory, okay? So when you hear somebody, an evolutionist, saying, well, it's a fact, you need to say, well, what do you mean by that? They could say it's a fact that within the same class of animal, things change, yes. You might even call that evolution. But nothing across classes has ever evolved. And then you have the evolutionists that believe that we all came from this one little microorganism in the in Yosemite Park geyser or something, you know, in the in the hot hot pools or whatever you call them. And out of that, all this universe was created. That's a theory. Never been proven. And so that's what you when you hear evolutionary theory, keep that in mind, okay? <clears throat> You'll see, I've heard evolutionists on TV, on the internet, whatever, say, you know, the facts are that these things can be proven by evolution. Well, you can prove things mathematically that change. That doesn't mean we all came from one organism. That doesn't mean classes of animals can cross over. It just doesn't happen. So, those are things to keep in mind, and I hope if you ever have a discussion with someone, you can kind of remember that. An honest man, armed with all the knowledge available to us now, could only state that in some sense the origin of life appears at the moment to be almost a miracle. So many other conditions which would have to have been satisfied that it could not occur by simply random chance. Couldn't occur. Evidence of intelligent design is found in the smallest building blocks of life, in the vast universe that it seems to me it takes a lot more faith to believe in something like evolution than it does to have faith in a God, right? In fact, there's been some books written about that. It seems so easy to understand. So easy to see it. So I know I haven't read a lot of scripture here today, but I wanted to point some things out to you guys. And, and really, you guys know this. And really, people in the world know this, right? They just don't want to believe. Because you can't walk out into the universe and just be awe-inspired by something and say, well, that happened naturally. That just occurred. All these cells just came together. All these molecules just came together by chance. You can't do that and be a, a smart-sounding person. All right, well, I guess you can in the scientific world because evolutionists do it every day, right? But whenever I hear that, I think, that makes no sense, man. In this brief presentation, we've looked at the evidence of cosmology, evidence of physics and astronomy. 
the evidence of biochemistry, evidence of biological information, all of this points to a creator, an intelligent designer, right? It has to. I've only briefly talked to some of the things. There's all kinds of stuff you can hear. If you ever heard Kyle Butt do a, a presentation, he was here a couple years ago on evolutionary theory and all these things. It's amazing the things that you can understand and that you can see that evolutionists get wrong. The things that you can be refuted. Uh, several years ago, we had a presentation by Burt Thompson, uh, who was a apologetic press. Of course, many of you know about him and the situation in his life. But I remember distinctly he had a picture of a trilobite fossil. Trilobites were these sea creatures that were supposed to live billions of years ago, right? And they do the carbon dating or whatever, and they can tell they're billions of years old, right? And that kind of thing. Yet he had a fossil that had a trilobite fossil, and right beside it, he had a sandal print. And when they did carbon dating, the sandal print was the same age as a trilobite. The trilobite supposedly went out went extinct billions of years ago. So if they're going to say that man came from apes and all this stuff, they couldn't have lived at the same time as the trilobites were roaming there, right? Couldn't have happened. So that's an amazing thing. You don't hear about that when you're talking to an evolutionist or someone who believes in a really old Earth, a really old universe. There are things that you're not going to see when it comes to that. Why is that? As is the case in anything in the world, politics. If you're going to make a case for something, you've got to have the right politics, right, to defend it. Well, my politics are right here. If the word says it, I believe it, because I believe that's the truth. As our scientific knowledge increases, and it does get more and more every day, just like I talked about these vaccines, it's amazing what they come up with. I believe they continue to point toward a creator, and I believe you can't deny the evidence, and I believe there's going to be more scientists that believe that. Some will continue to deny simply because they harden their heart. That is the case. Ironically, the picture of the universe that is before us today is the most, uh, that's, uh, it's closer to a vision presented in Genesis 1 than it's ever been before. All right. We're running out of time. I don't have time. I'm going to read some of the biblical scriptures. Next, next week, we'll look at the historical case for creation.